So if I've learned one thing about podcasting over my very limited five-year podcasting career, it's that things don't always go according to plan. That was the case last fall when we got ready to wrap up 2019 in geospatial information systems. At the NISJIC annual conference in Snowbird, Utah, myself and three incredible GIS experts sat on stage during a lunch at the conference to talk about 2019 in GIS and have a riveting, engaging conversation with the crowd about such a fun topic. And it went well, I promise. The conversation was great. The content was outstanding, not to mention how beautiful and great the setting was in Utah. But there was a problem. The recording sounded terrible. When I say terrible, I mean the audio quality was rough. A cable had to be loose somewhere or something like that. Uh, but our guests, our guests were top notch. They said all the right things. They were funny, engaging, personable. But the audio quality of my recording left a lot to be desired. In fact, all I have of listenable audio from the recording is this. So, uh, if you remember from last year, uh, I'm going to raise my hands or do something with my arms every time I want you to make some sort of noise. Uh, so, so we'll do a little test. You ready for this? I wasn't sure if someone was just going to shout some sort of noise. <laughs> That's applause in the room from the recording, proof that it happened. But never fear. While I'm sad we couldn't quite capture that conversation on that October day, we are here to usher in 2020 with a rehash of that discussion, updated to reflect this moment in time and what's happened since then. This is GIS Chris. Welcome to the third season of GIS Addressed, a show where we talk about the intersection of state government and geospatial information systems here on the Scoop News Group Podcast Network. For this show, we work together with the folks at the National States Geographic Information Council to tell the stories of GIS in government and how the technologies impact both government employees and the citizens. I'm your host, Jake Williams, State Scoop's associate publisher. Today, we're joined by three GIS-addressed veterans. First up, welcome back Karen Rogers, the current NISJIC president and staff policy analyst at the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. Karen was on our first episode of season three, released February 18th, talking about geo-enabled user experience. Welcome back, Karen. Thanks, Jake. Good to be here. We're also joined by Dan Ross, Minnesota's GIO. Dan, great to have you back. Thanks, Jake. Looking forward to the conversation. And finally, we have Bert Granberg, a NISJIC past president, back on the show today. Bert, how's it going? Thanks for joining. It was well, Jake. So let's jump in here with a look back and a look ahead. What were some of the top geo trends that you all saw dominate 2019? And how do these look now nearly two full months into 2020? Dan, let's go to you first. A couple of things come to mind, actually five, as I think about what's going on in my state. Uh, we have a bit more of a focus on developing maps as a service for my state agencies to consume. So instead of having them create their own and create web services and things like that, we're publishing them centrally and anybody can pick them up and use them. Uh, another big topic that's become real important to us, um, which we started in 2019, was updating wayfind data into nav systems and autonomous vehicles. That's a challenge for us, as uh, I think most folks know that the road center lines data that's out there is constantly changing due to construction and things like that. So that's really on the top of our minds. Uh, we're getting a, a little bit into geo AI. Um, an example of that would be we're using machine learning to analyze park visits, including how far people will travel, what amenities they are using when they're at the park, and other things like traffic analysis and use of ramp meters to predict congestion. Finally, a couple of small other things that we're thinking about is the miniaturization and lower costs and increased use of sensors in our environment. Here in Minnesota, we're doing a lot of environmental modeling where we have those 
sensors out in the environment all the time, and we can capture that data real time. That helps us with some increased quantity of Earth observation data that we can now plug into our GIS systems to analyze across the board. And, and Karen, let's let's bring you into the conversation here. What are some of your thoughts? What, what were some of those geo trends that you saw dominate 2019, and, and how do they look as 2020 progresses? One of the things I'm most proud of with, within NISJIC is our geo-enabled elections program. So Jamie Chesser, our programs manager, has been speaking at a variety of conferences and meetings to raise awareness about the value of GIS in the administration of elections. So using better data to, um, for voter registration and for delineating um, districts and voter districts and um, precinct places so that it's easier for citizens to find where they vote. And there's, you know, we're making sure that the right voter gets the right ballot in the right location and that candidates are filing for the right positions based on where they live. So it's really exciting to see that topic gain traction and raise the awareness about the value of GIS in elections. Bert, what, what about you? Tell us uh, about what you saw in 2019 and, and how that's gone now into 2020. Well, this this all feels a little bit like deja vu all over again, Jake, but um, I'll try and remember what I said last fall, but uh, hopefully you won't hold me accountable to matching it exactly because a few more months have passed. Um, I think I would start with, with this trend of of data science and um, sort of a data science, data science ecosystem and GIS firmly carving out a role to play um, in that location data, geographic data is, is a huge part of what the potential is for using data science to better inform decisions and, and add efficiencies to almost any process. And, and I think I would kind of frame everything that I'm seeing in terms of trends around that particular um, area. So that includes things like machine learning that Dan mentioned. Um, it includes a balanced strategic approach to managing geographic information and um, impacting projects like Karen mentioned with geo-elections, uh, just as one of probably hundreds of examples you could throw out there. Uh, it involves this data science ecosystem for sure involves trying to combine what states and local government do best in GIS, these core functions of stewarding really important data sets like address points and boundaries, um, parcels and water features and, uh, and road center lines that Dan mentioned earlier with all the different data products that are coming out um, on the commercial market. Uh, a lot of uh, things like licensed aerial photography, uh, and then a huge area is all of the anonymized data that's available from uh, smartphone apps uh, that we're seeing packaged into commercial products. So I, I would frame everything in sort of this data science direction, uh, but there's a lot of a lot of detail in the specifics that um, that impact GIS. I throw one other mention out there, uh, and that is, um, you know, we're seeing many more app web applications out there. And we're seeing more in the realm of reusable, configurable applications that make it very easy for GIS data to become a really important part of, um, of decision-making, policy discussions, communicating with citizens. Um, and I think that, that we're going to see more 
in the way of that reusable code base. Um, it's, we talk about, tend to talk a lot about data and data sharing, but I think that sharing um, application code via GitHub and other platforms and certainly employing it in the cloud, uh, I, I think all of that's going to continue to pick up, up speed. Speaking of the entire public sector, a, a big moment for state government and, and, and really, again, the entire public sector, GIS community, was, was the passage of the Geospatial Data Act toward the end of 2018. Now it's been about 16 months since it was signed into law. How is that changing your day-to-day -day role? How do you expect it to change going forward? And we'll go to Karen first. The impacts remain to be seen, really. Um, last year, I spearheaded an effort within NISJIC to create what's called the Geospatial Maturity Assessment um, to retool it to derive state-level report cards. This was inspired from the Coalition of Geospatial Organizations national report card that they produced both in 2015 and 2018, where they scored federal agencies on the NSTI uh, framework layers. And it seemed to me that in order to get the full pulse of the nation that we needed to derive state report cards. So we developed teams and um, created some defensible criteria to derive grades. And we produced that report last, we published it last year. And, and I think it really is a benchmark for where states are and should prove to be a very valuable resource for the Federal Geographic Data Committee as it works to figure out how they're going to implement the GDA. And, um, you know, I think it really marks NISJIC's place in the geospatial world as being the communication hub between the states and federal agencies and be able to really grind out how we can build up state programs to really fuel a successful national spatial data infrastructure. And, and Bert, you know, same question for you. What changes are you seeing as a result of the GDA, if, if any? And, and how do you see that changing going forward? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's going to take a little while um, for us to see the impact of that. But um, I think that's kind of typical of, of uh, initiatives at the federal level sometimes. But I think we can all be patient and know that we've got a framework uh, to work with our federal partners on those balance and strategy issues. And it's something that's not gonna go away um, now that it's been codified in law. Uh, it won't be just at the whim of the executive branch to, to work on these issues. If anything, it's gonna get a lot more attention. Uh, and you know, I think that it'll help with budgeting mechanisms and policy that's needed to make for an efficient uh, space for GIS technology to work within, uh, not only at the federal level, but also with federal partners uh, in state and local government and also in the private sector. So um, sort of, I think my, my dominant reaction is uh, cautious, cautiously optimistic and patient, but um, I'm hoping to see some substantive um, benefits from that legislation and roll out in the next uh, year or two. I think it's going to, um, it's going to emphasize the importance of state GIOs uh, and the interaction between the federal government and states, uh, that partnership is going to become more important. And uh, I think it's, you know, here's, here's one more role for GIOs to play. Um, you know, why do we have them? Because to work most efficiently in this space, you need to really be concerned about return on investment, on coordination, on meeting needs, on advocating in the policy and budget space. And um, I think this is just going to 
make GIOs that much more important. That's going to put more demand on uh, their time to 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 work in this space um, with the federal partners and, and produce more for their states. Dan, what what about you? I mean, do you have anything else to to add here on the conversation about what the GDA has done slash what it will do soon? Karen and and Bert have covered it a bit, and we are waiting a, a bit for the outcomes to play out a little bit at the federal level. But I think what it has done for the states is um, raise the awareness of what the GDA is, what role the states can play. For instance, in my state, um, I'm trying to make sure that our federal partners are aware of all the data that we have and that we are the authoritative source for much of the data that they need. So as Bert said, I think there's a great opportunity for the GIOs to really get engaged with our federal partners. For instance, I sit on the um, FGDC address theme subcommittee work group where I'm helping to define the workflow of address points from locals to state and from state to federal. And we're working on that right now. And that's a direct result of the GDA and the understanding from federal partners that they have to leverage data that's already available. So I believe all states will get engaged in that as it goes forward. And there's ample opportunities for them to engage now and some of the federal committees that are out there. So let's let's kind of take everything that we've talked about so far, let's pull it together to bring the conversation to a close. This time next year, or, or rather, maybe if we were to chat again at the end of the year for a hopefully successful live podcast recording, what is one thing that you want to have accomplished? And, and how do you think it will change the game for your community and the greater state GIS community as a whole? And, and Bert, we'll go to you first. So um, I think that to answer that question, I'd have to look at what's happening in my own office um, in a metropolitan planning organization, Wasatch Front Regional Council here in Salt Lake. And this is kind of building on a trend, but I just think that my goal is related to doing more of this. And that is having the map data um, and the applications that we build to show the map data do an even better job of communicating information uh, to decision makers and citizens um, and, and collecting information, feedback back from them. I, I just, there's no doubt in my mind that almost the most engaging way to work with, um, with our constituency is through maps. And we've seen that. Um, in the past year, some of the products that we produce, transportation plans, regional vision, we've been able to build applications that are, are so good at using the map-based GIS data resources that those maps and the applications that show those maps have almost become the plan and the vision themselves. Um, it's really exciting to see uh, leaders in, in our region pulling up those maps when they refer to what is going to be built in the future or what our, our land use uh, distribution will be like 10 years from now. And, and I think that there's just so much more potential. I, I, think, I think we can do more to leverage these incredible data resources that local government, state government, the federal government, the private sector, have built. And we're sitting on a giant, giant haystack of data. And I think that the potential and the goals that I've got looking to the future relate to helping people to better see the landscape, the communities that they live in, so that they can make better decisions for the future. 
Karen, what, what about you? What's one thing, one big thing that you're hoping to achieve this year? And, and how do you see it changing the game for Wyoming and, and the greater state GIS community? Thank you. Yeah. In Wyoming, we have our first ever state-sponsored imagery program, which is very exciting and is driven by our Department of Revenue. And so for the first time, we're going to have leaf off oblique imagery flown for our urban areas, so-called urban areas in Wyoming. But the idea is to enable county assessors to do desktop desktop property assessments. So this will reduce their travel time, you know, increase their efficiency, increase, you know, uh, income to the state from increased um, property assessments. And it's the first time that we've had an enterprise type imagery program. And so I'm excited for it to get off the ground and for people to realize the benefit of such imagery and such cooperation and coordination among state government and local governments and really prove the value and hope that that takes hold and you know is a catalyst for how else we can benefit and increase efficiencies in our state from GIS coordination. And like Bert was saying, the value of it is better decisions and better land management. And in a state like Wyoming, where we have so much public land and the state is potentially um, going to increase its land holdings. You know, having good quality data will only lead to much better land management, much better decision, much better investment decisions, and you know the efficiencies just cannot be understated. They're just they're huge. So, hopefully, a year from now, um, you know, I I can help improve our governance system and improve our state coordination so that we can learn from other states because um, Wyoming has a long way to go. But you know, we can learn. And, and hopefully get it right in our in this next round of, of trying. And finally, Dan, let's go to you. You can uh, take it home. What's what's one big thing that you're hoping to get done this year in, in Minnesota? And how do you expect it to play a role, uh, in, obviously, in your state, but also in the national GIS uh, landscape? Well, like the others, uh, Jake, I'm going to follow on the data theme a little bit. Uh, I'm sure you're aware that NISJIC has been working closely with USGS on a, a three-dip for the nation plan and has been helping many states. Minnesota is a benefactor of that. Uh, through that program, we have been able to write our statewide LIDAR acquisition plan. Uh, we're having our, our first acquisition uh, this coming spring. Since the plan is written and it's a, it's a five or a six year plan, we don't have the entire five or six years planned out. My goal in the next year is really to have that complete. Uh, we're starting to have conversations around the state with the stakeholders and the potential funders that can help us cost share this, completing that plan and really having the implementation part of it rolling is gonna be a game changer for Minnesota. And that includes things like uh, knowing what the data storage and distribution is gonna be for not terabytes of data any longer, but petabytes of data. So we're really rolling on that. We're gonna be a lot farther next year, our first acquisitions in the spring. I'm really looking forward uh, to having that Dan, I think that's a really good piece to add to the end of the conversation because I, having watched what's happening with the LIDAR and elevation acquisition in partnership between uh, the USGS at the federal level and what the states and, and local communities are doing uh, and the private, uh, private sector uh, specialists who, who largely collect this data, I, I think there's a huge success story here and I think that it all got started when um, the federal agency folks 
started getting serious about collaborating with uh, with NISJIC and with state GIOs. And uh, it seems like there's a huge win happening. And if anything, it's it's um, something that more attention needs to be uh, brought to because our country is being mapped um, in terms of elevation and natural features at an incredibly fine-grained level. Uh, and the progress made in the last, just in the last two years is, is a huge win that uh, deserves a little bit more attention and, and fanfare. You're right, Bert. This is a, a real good example of a, of a program and how it can work between our federal partners, our states, and even our local governments and the roles that each can play. Uh, in our state, we identified 36 different benefits um, and the recovery time on the entire state acquisition, which is about 35 to 40 um, million dollars is only 2.9 years. So great program, great partnership, uh, great benefits for all in a program like this. And I would just add, it speaks to, as Dan alluded to, that, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy that we can get with coordination, with communication, with bridging the gaps between federal agencies and states where the data are maintained and used the most. So I think it just speaks to, you know, the possibilities if we continue to, you know, have a successful GDA implementation and um, build those relationships. The next one I see coming in 2020, Jake, is probably the data that's required for next generation 911. There's a great opportunity to work with our federal partners and our state partners to develop best practices for how we can come together as a nation and do that. Dan, Karen, Bert, thank you so much for making the time today and, and offering your input. Here's to a successful 2020 for all of you and, uh, and the greater GIS community. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks for the opportunity, Jake. Thank you so much, Jake. This was fun. See you soon, I hope. Thank you. And that is that for today's episode of GIS Addressed. Uh, again, we're back for our third season to talk about the ways GIS is transforming government as we know it. For all that and more, stay tuned to this season of the podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Jake Williams, State Scoops Associate Publisher. Thanks for listening.